This is Arvind Chaudhary, President of Nadescent Technologies. Today's episode will focus on the uptick in hacker activity due to the rise in remote workforce and what you can do to be less vulnerable to the hackers. Since 91% of breaches start with social engineering by hackers, organizations need to go way beyond conventional cyber protection and detection. Today's guest, Jim Stickley, founder and CEO of Stickley on Security, will share insights on this subject. Jim is an ethical hacker, speaker, and a renowned cybersecurity expert. Hi, Jim. Thank you for joining me today. It's my privilege to have you on my podcast. How are you? Absolutely. So how are things going in the hacking and phishing world? We recently saw some news about the uh, Twitter and COVID vaccine research-related hacks. So I'm wondering, are the cyber threats escalating? Is this related to the pandemic and people working from home, or just a continued trend? Um, it's a little of both. I mean, it's definitely a continued trend. There's no doubt about it. I mean, this has been going on for years. Um, but what we've seen, especially when it comes to the phishing side of things, is a huge uptick in the amount of attacks. And that's, I, I believe, directly related to the pandemic. And you can kind of see it just in the way the types of attacks, as you just mentioned, the COVID scams. I mean, those are out of control. And criminals have realized it's an extremely hot topic. I mean, there's nobody in the world that's not talking about COVID. So if you can focus on that and to make all of your scams related to that, you have a huge pool of potential victims. Yeah, it just became easier for them. Yeah, I mean, that's the thing. It, it, it's opened up this whole new avenue. I mean, it's, it's basically, you know, everybody talks about blue oceans and, and when you're talking about business-related stuff, and, and COVID's a blue ocean for sure. Like shooting the uh, fish in the barrel, right? <laughs> absolutely, absolutely, because who, who isn't interested? So if I send you an email, and, you know, one of the scams right now that's really popular is the one where it's... Uh, the COVID tracers or tr COVID tracking. So I send you an email and tell you, hey, I work for the CDC and we've got information that shows that you could come in contact with somebody that has COVID, immediately you're paying attention. That, that email has captured your full, full attention. And so now you're gonna be very, very apt to continue to read it. And then it goes on to tell you that uh, you're gonna need to quarantine for 14 days and there's all this other stuff. And then it'll generally give you a case number and that case number is related specifically to you. And then there's either a link or an attachment that they want you to click on to get more information. And a lot of people are clicking that link because you know, they want to know, do I really have COVID? Was I really exposed? And they want more information. So uh, let's, you know, I have a lot of questions on behalf of our audience. So let's dive in and uh, okay. let's start with, let's talk about phishing and spear phishing attacks. How bad is it? And what are the trends? So it's bad right now. Um, I, I know it was like, I don't know, a little over a month ago when they had the latest stats come out and it was a 600% increase in phishing attacks. And I mean, phishing attacks were already crazy high. So if you could raise that by 600%, and I know a couple months ago, uh, the last stats that Google put out, so they were tracking over 18 million uh, phishing attacks a day. That's incredible numbers. Uh, and that's just what Google has from Gmail. I mean, that's, that's not including all of the other mail services that are out there. Like, you know, Microsoft has a massive mail service out there. We're not even getting those numbers. So right. it's, it's pretty crazy right now. Um, and then the, the trends all tie back to anything that's popular. I mean, as we were just talking about, you know, I just mentioned COVID. That was a big one. Another one that's really big is the Black Lives Matters. 
Um, that's a huge trend right now. And again, any huge trend draws those criminals in. And so they'll send out emails saying like, hey, there's going to be protests in your area. Get more details here. And immediately people go, oh, man, it's going to be in my area. I want to look and see. Is that something I should be worried about? And they click those links. And so that's what it all comes down to with all of these things is how can they capture your attention immediately so that you're going to react and click the links or open those attachments? Very, very interesting. And with politics now, with the elections coming up, I think that's going to escalate too. Oh, my God. I mean, think about like all they have to do is send an email out that says, um, like, pretend that it comes from one of your friends and say, oh, my gosh, did you see what Trump just did? Click this link to see what's happening. And immediately go, well, what did Trump do today? You know, whether you like him or whether you don't like him, it's going right. to get your attention. Right. So as we talk about phishing, what type of phishing attacks are there and what's their goal? So there's primarily, I mean, when it comes to phishing attacks, it's either going to happen through an email or through, I mean, through a link in an email or through an attachment. And the types that are going to work are either where they're trying to get malware onto your computer or where they're trying to gain access to information. So most of the time, if it's a link, it's going to take you out to a website. And in those cases, their goal is generally to try to get you to provide information. So they'll take you to a website that maybe it looks like it came from your bank or credit union. So you click mm -hmm. on the link, takes you to a website that looks just like your bank or credit union. And their goal is for you to, you know, type in login credentials, personal information that they can capture. Um, in other cases, they might be sending you to uh, Amazon or any place at all where there's, there's login credentials. But one thing that people sometimes miss with this one is a link doesn't have to ask for information. It could also take you to a malicious website that's literally designed to exploit vulnerabilities in your web browser or other applications running on your computer. So in those cases, even though you've clicked the link and you browse to the site and you haven't entered any personal information, it still could be designed specifically to hack your computer and put malware on your computer. And then you're in real trouble there. And the, the flip side of that is if you get an attachment. So now you've received an email and there's an attachment. Maybe it's a PDF file or a Word doc or whatever it happens to be. You double click on it and the document opens up and it looks normal. What people don't realize is those documents, even though they might look normal, can still actually be installing malware on your computer behind the scenes. So I get a PDF file. It looks like it came from a coworker. I double click. It opens up, has some information about doesn't really matter anything. Um, and I go, oh, okay, and that was useful, not useful. I close it and I walk away. In behind the scenes, malware can install. And, and PDFs are a really great example. Um, generally, most people use Adobe. And Adobe has, you know, your Acrobat reader. Uh, Adobe Acrobat is a train wreck of a product. And they have a new vulnerability about once every other month related to Adobe Acrobat, which means if you're not keeping up with your patches on Adobe Acrobat as fast as they're coming out, you're vulnerable. And all you have to do is just double click that document and the malware is installed. And again, there's not like it's going to prompt you. It's not going to say, do you want to install this or give you any kind of warnings? It just installs. Wow. And PDFs are so pervasive. Yeah. I mean, it's so hard because think about it. It's, it's your coworkers will send them to you. You get them from marketing agencies. You get them from companies that you do like a business partner, things like that. They come from everybody. So it's really, really difficult to know. And then people go, oh, well, um, you know, I got it from a coworker, so obviously I can trust that. And the problem is you can't. I mean, you don't really know if that coworker sent it to you. It might look like they did, but that doesn't mean they actually did. It's very interesting. I actually, we just published uh, today, Hartford Current is the major newspaper for the state of Connecticut. Yeah. And just published an article, security article in that paper that, that I submitted. 
and it got published. And I sent that PDF to a bunch of people. Now, they would read that, right? So if anything coming from me, they're going to read that. And if I was a bad actor. Yeah. And the thing is, like, literally, we could. So here's, like, give me a great example. So let's say I'm a criminal. I've hacked into your computer, okay? So now I'm on your computer, and you don't know I'm on your computer. I'm just sitting there kind of lying dormant. I'm monitoring what you're doing. And so now today, I see you send out that email to a couple of your friends. While I'm on your computer, I can take that exact PDF, modify it, put malware into that PDF, go into your contact list, mail it out to all of your friends. It's mm -hmm. going to come literally from your computer. It's going to have a document related to you specifically. Who's not going to open that? I mean, everybody is. And it's just, it's easy pickings. And that's why criminals have so much success. So, so another uh, topic is really, what are the risks associated with web browsing? And how do I tell if a website is legitimate? And a lot of times, um, in the past, we've seen that a lot of companies have HTTPS in their website URL, and some don't. So what's the, what's the impact of HTTPS, and how do I tell the legitimate versus uh, uh, illegitimate sites? All right, that was, that was a lot of questions rolled into one. Let me start at the beginning. Uh, so websites, just browsing to a website, it is extremely difficult to know the difference. In fact, we actually did a test on this with a, one of the news agencies a while back where I made a website that was selling mobile devices, just mobile phones. And um, the site, as far as we, you know, looked pretty legitimate. And I put an ad out on Google Ads selling my phones very, very inexpensive compared to all of my competitors. And we just got hit after hit of people trying to buy phones. And all we were doing was you know, ripping off credit cards. So people would go in, they'd say they want to buy the phone, they put their credit card information in, and then it would give them a message telling them that there was an error processing their card, please drive back in 24 hours. Uh, in reality, we could have stolen those cards. Now, obviously, I'm not a bad guy, I'm not an actual criminal. So all we did was track that they put their credit card information in, we didn't actually store it. And, um, and, we can, and we tracked their email address, so that way we could contact them later so that they could be part of the news story. But um, if I had been bad, it was so easy. And, and so when you talk to those people afterwards, you go, okay, so, you know, did, was there anything about that website? And they're like, you know, no. Like, you know, I guess the only red flag they said was um, they should have probably thought twice because the price was so good. And that was really the only thing. But it was such a good price, they didn't want to miss it. And because... There was a Google ad that directed them. They thought the site must be legitimate because they went, oh, well, Google's advertising this website. So therefore, they must do some sort of due diligence to make sure the website's legitimate. And then the reality is that that's not the case. Google's job isn't to make sure every company is a legitimate company. Their job is to make money. And if I'm willing to pay and I can just use a stolen credit card and buy Google ad space, they're going to go ahead and let me advertise whatever I want. That's what they did yeah. in that case. So when it comes to websites, just looking at a site, it's really, really difficult. And then you talk specifically about the certificate, the HTTPS at the top versus HTTP. Um, that used to mean something. So a couple of years ago, not that long ago, people would talk to me and I go, hey, you know, watch for HTTPS. If you see HTTPS, you're going to know it's a legitimate site. Um, that's completely thrown out the window now. Instead, what they did was they said, okay, we need to get everybody to be more secure. So to do that, we're gonna force pretty much every website on the planet to have a security certificate on their website. And the concept was simple, and that was when you're on a network, a public network, let's say at a hotel or an airport or a coffee shop, oftentimes a criminal could be on that network 
and they can monitor the traffic. So they can monitor what you were doing just by sitting on the network and watching the, the traffic on that network. So if something was going plain text versus encrypted, it meant a criminal could watch it all. So what they said was, okay, well, we got to stop that. The only way to do that is to make it so that every website you go to is encrypted. And that's what that HTTPS is. It's a security certificate to give you encryption. So ultimately what that meant was they needed to make it easy enough for every company out there and every person with a website to get a security certificate. So in the old days, like when I wanted to get a certificate for my website, I had to jump through all these hoops. I'd have to contact the organization. I'd have to send them a picture of my driver's license. I'd have to have them give them corporate information. I'd have to do all this stuff just to prove I was a legitimate entity. And then at that point, they would go ahead and issue me a certificate. Now I can go online, it takes about five minutes, literally from beginning to end, pay $7.99, and they will issue me a security certificate. That, that's it. And now I have a certificate for any website I make. So the idea of um, them being out there and having this HTTPS mean something, all it means is that your traffic will be encrypted going to the site. It no longer has any bearing over whether that site's legitimate or not. So just don't assume because you see HTTPS that that has legitimized the site. It, it has done nothing more than just tell you that someone can't sniff the traffic while you're going to the site. Doesn't mean there's not a criminal at that site stealing your information. Right, right. And you earlier, you mentioned about a great deal on the web, right? And if that was done on the Black Friday, people would believe that a lot more. They're saying, oh, must be a Black Friday related deal. Absolutely. In fact, there's studies that show that criminals bring sites up on Fridays and take them down on Mondays. Like weekends they focus on because they do trend analysis just like anybody else. And they look, when are the hot times? Obviously Christmas, another very big time for putting out lots and lots of scam websites. Um, any of the holidays, you know, Valentine's, flower, you know, fake flower delivery and, and things for down. Like, whatever happens to be popular. So Black Friday, as you mentioned, like these are all times when criminals spin up sites. They only have to be up for a few hours. You know, people oftentimes go, oh, well, you know, the site, you know, how, how long can they really last? And if, if I'm a criminal and I can leave a site up for a day, I've had a lot of success in a day. And that, that's all you need. And so, you know, yes, eventually criminal websites get discovered and they get taken down. But by then, the criminals moved on to the next website that they put up. And they just keep, you know, it's just kind of this cat and mouse where as fast as you're trying to take them down, they just put it up somewhere else because it's just so easy to do. So let's uh, talk about the malicious websites and typo squatting or domain spoofing. What can be done to protect a company's employees and customers from domain spoofing? I know your company does something in that area, but can you share for the audience uh, what, sure. what is that and what, how can you protect Yourself. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. So typo squatting. So this is one of those things that it's very, very popular right now. And it seems to be really gaining a lot of traction. And this kind of goes hand in hand with spear phishing. So um, you have a website and your website is www.whatever.com. Well, a criminal will go out and they'll look at your website and they'll look at your, the domain name. And they go, okay, if your domain name was actually whatever.com, they look at that and they go, you know what? I could buy that website or that domain name but I'll buy it one character off. So where the W would be for, for whatever.com, they would switch that and they would buy a Q in place of the W. And you'd go, well, why would they buy whatever with the Q in place of the W.com? It doesn't make sense. But if you look at your keyboard, you'll notice the Q is right next to the W on the keyboard. Yes. And what criminals have realized is that when people are typing, oftentimes they'll mistype a character. It's just kind of you know, you're typing fast, so you type it quick and hit enter, and you don't really pay attention as you go. You just kind of fly through it, 
And then generally what will happen is if you mistype it, the website doesn't come up, it gives an error on the page, and you go, oh, I mistyped it, and you fix it. But if a criminal has purchased that domain with that typo, which is hence the term typo squatting, um, then when you go to that website, it will come up now. So that Q in place of the W actually comes up, and the website will look just like the site you thought you were going to. So if, for example, I'm a criminal, I'm targeting a bank or a credit union, I put up a website that's just one character off that looks just like your website. So now I just sit back and wait. It's not like it's a targeted attack in this case. Basically, I can set this site up. The odds of somebody discovering it's even there are pretty slim to none because it just sits out there for a long time. Nobody even knows what's going on. And every once in a while, people just fall victim. They go to the site. Criminals capture their information. And then they roll them back to the real site. So the, so the customer never has any idea that they fell victim. So it's a really easy scam to pull off. Same thing goes with spear phishing. You know, when we talked about phishing before, again, criminals will buy these domains that are just one character off because they know that if I send you an email and I'm pretending to be your healthcare or I'm pretending to be, you know, banks are always easy, a bank or credit, you know, whoever it is, um, I need the email to look somewhat legitimate. So if I put a URL in there for you to click and the URL goes to something totally different than the actual name of the organization, you're going to go, uh, oh, that doesn't look right. And you're going to probably delete the mail. On the other hand, if I have it just one character off, your eyes are often going to miss that, especially like if you're on your mobile device, because it's so small to begin with. One minor character, if I replace, for example, an M with an N, you're probably not going to even notice that in a, in a string on a URL. So in those cases, the criminals buy these domains, just one character off, send out these spirit phishing attacks. And again, people will click on them because they just don't notice those one character differences. So for us, what it came down to was, um, there's companies out there that were doing monitoring. They go, okay, we'll monitor. And if we see a site like this show up, um, that gets purchased and we'll get a notification eventually that something like this shows up out on the internet somewhere, we'll then try to get it taken down. And I, I was thinking about it and it, my problem was I had a lot of customers that were falling into this situation and they were going, you know, we have these sites that are popping up. It sometimes takes a couple weeks before they finally get taken down. During that time, people are falling victim and going to them. It's this, you know, it's just really difficult. And it kind of dawned on me, like, we're never going to get ahead of it unless we actually get ahead of it. And the only way to get ahead of it is to buy the domains first. And so I used to go to my customers and I go, look, okay, so there's an algorithm. I kind of came up with my own and said, if there's your domain is this, here's all of the different versions of that domain that someone could buy that could be used against you. And depending on how long your domain is, how many characters it is, it can literally be up to a couple hundred or even in some cases even a little bit worse than that domains. And I would say, you need to go out and buy all of those. And people's eyes would just kind of glaze over and they'd be like, well, what do you mean? And I go, you need to buy them before a criminal does because someone's going to get them. It might as well be you. It's not crazy expensive, but you need those. And the people go, well, we want to, but that's a lot of work. You know, I was trying to go and buy all these and do it all. And I was like, you know, I, I agree. It is a lot of work. And so that's why you mentioned our company does have a service that does exactly that. It's ridiculously inexpensive. And basically a client provides what their domain is. Uh, our system will automatically go out, download all of the domains that could be used against them and then redirect all those domains. So they now go to, back to their own website. So therefore they don't have to worry about them anymore because if, you know, if they're locked down and they're already purchased, a criminal can't get them. And so, you know, we still do monitoring and everything else, but we do that as well, because I just think it's one of those things where it's not a matter of if anymore. I mean, go like, for example, try going to Facebook, mistype a character. There is something on that mistype character, no matter what. 
Same thing with like Bank of America or Wells Fargo or any of the big guys out there. Almost all of the domains are already gone. Um, oftentimes they'll be gone by the actual organization who would be targeted. Um, and that's because they've realized they need to buy them up. And that's what's happening now. So uh, if you're an organization out there, you should absolutely either do it yourself or get a service like ours to, to go out and lock them down because it is such a risk. Now, if you're a home user, um, what you need to focus on is just simply when you go to a website, before you hit enter, really pay attention to what you just type because it is so easy to fat finger and like, you know, you try to hit the H, but you hit the H and the G at the same time. So you kind of get two letters instead of one. All of those are things that criminals are aware of and that's the kind of stuff they're watching for. So pay attention to it. When the website comes up, don't just assume because it says HTTPS that you're at the right site or just because it looks like you were going, always really pay attention to that URL to make sure you are where you thought you were going. That's great. And if you do this domain protection, uh, you're also getting uh, analytics on what the activity is around your domain. So that kind of shows you the proof, right? Yeah, that, that's exactly it. We, we track everything and do all the logging. So if somebody does go to one of these incorrect type spots, um, not only do we redirect in the right place, we also track that information so that our clients can see all of the people that potentially would have ended up somewhere bad. Great, great. So, so we talked about phishing emails earlier. And so I get a phishing email and I open it. I click on a tempting offer such as a free one-week cruise or whatever. Um, how do I know if my computer was compromised? That is where it gets so hard. So in the old days, you would say things like, you know, hey, does your computer start running slower? And that was like your big tell. Like if your computer starts running slow or acting funny, something's probably wrong. And, and that's a pretty good indication you could have malware on your computer. But those days are, are long gone. Malware is extremely sophisticated now, well-written in most cases, and it's not going to slow your computer down. In fact, unless the criminal wants you to know um, the odds of you actually just being able to figure it out are really, really slim. Now, when I say that they want you to know, that's, that's generally related to ransomware. So you get malware on your computer. The malware um, can be designed to do a lot of things, but one of the things is ransomware. That's where it locks you out of all of your files. So um, all of your Word docs, all of your PowerPoints, all of your images, all of your Excel files, all the things that could be important to you as a person it locks all of those, basically encrypts all those files and makes it so you can't access any of them. Then it puts a little message on your screen that says, hey, sucks to be you. You got to now pay us or else we're not going to go ahead and let you have access to any of these files anymore. And that's ransomware. Um, and it's actually gotten really, really different in the last, just in the last six months. It used to be that it would just do that kind of stuff. So it was locked up the main files and it was just a nuisance and you'd pay. And really the only people that were falling victim was the average home users and hospitals got targeted or healthcare got targeted a decent amount as well or locked them out of all of their files and stuff. Yeah. Well, recently or more recently, criminals have realized they could up their game with this stuff and they're actually reprogramming ransomware to target um, um, automation and devices and stuff related to specific corporations. So what will happen now is I am a criminal, I hack into someone's network, get on a system, uh, instead of just doing ransomware immediately and shutting down one computer, instead what I do is I go into learning mode and I try to start learning everything I can about the environment. So for example, Honda is a great, a great uh, kind of case study on this. So um, just a month ago, not even a month ago, 
Honda had this huge ransomware attack. And it wasn't your typical, hey, we've knocked some files offline. It was, hey, we've taken down all of your automation and your assembly lines for building cars. So literally, they were, had to stop all production for a couple of days uh, nationwide, or I think it was internationally, because these criminals targeted not just something basic. They went after the way their infrastructure ran for Honda. And that was huge. Um, and it was, it was brilliant on the criminals' part because they've realized, like, we don't just need to knock you out of a few files. If you take down an entire plant, people are going to be more apt to pay money to get that up very, very quickly. And I, I have no idea if, if any ransom was paid or not. But I do know that it was um, a huge sh shot across the bow for all of corporate America that um, the days of just being locked out of a couple files that you could have backed up, those days are over. Now you got to start worrying about actual sophisticated attacks that are knocking you out of stuff that makes your business actually run. Yeah, and there's a whole conversation about whether you should pay, pay the ransom or not. Uh, yeah. you, how long should you have the backup for? Because if you back up for the last three months and if they were there during that time, then that data is no good, right? It's, it's so hard. And on top of that, a lot of times people, especially home users, will have like an external drive that they plug in through a USB port to their computer. And that's how they do their backups. They just have it run every night automatically and they feel really good about that. The problem is if ransomware is on your home computers, first thing it does is look to see if there's any external drives and it encrypts all of those as well. So now all of your backups have also been encrypted with ransomware, and so you can't even access your backups. So if you do run backups at home, make sure you're disconnecting that drive right after you're done running your backups, because if you just leave it plugged in, all of that data is going to be lost as well. What if that backup is encrypted? Well, you mean you encrypted it? Yeah. Wouldn't matter because the criminal's not trying to get the information. They're trying to keep you from getting it. So basically, you'd be double encrypted. It would be encrypted to, for your side, but then the criminals would run encryption over that, so you wouldn't be able to get it unless you had a key. So it's locked, but now it's, and it's really locked, and no one's getting it unless you pay them. Right. They can't use the information, but you can't either. Exactly. That's exactly it. Awesome. So, so, you know, I hear that certain type of computers, operating systems, phones, uh, like whether you're looking at Windows 10 versus Mac, uh, iPhone versus Android, are certain devices uh, more secure than the others? Um, uh, yeah, kind of, I guess. Um, so first, like PCs, when you're, you know, PCs and Macs, so if you're talking about Windows versus uh, uh, Mac, in, in those scenarios, they're, they're equal. I mean, there's, there's a lot of people that would argue, oh, Mac's more secure. Uh, but there's no real proof of that at all. Um, it seems to be Macs are attacked less. So I guess if you're going from a standpoint of, you know, where are your odds of getting malware against you, your odds increase by having a Windows-based uh, PC. That said, um, the vulnerabilities are in both systems. Both systems have been exploited many, many times. Uh, Macs had lots and lots of vulnerabilities that have been exploited by criminals and malware spread on those, just like on PC. So if you're going for, hey, this one's more secure, it's only less attacks. So that's the only way I can position Mac as being better is they have such a small footprint compared. I think they have a tenth of the amount of desktops in the world. And if you only have a tenth, criminals aren't going to attack it near as much, especially because most organizations don't use Macs for their backbone of corporate America, unless you're in like the marketing department or unless you're a graphic artist, most of the time they're not used. So 
um, criminals target where they think they're going to get the most bang for their buck, therefore they target Windows. Now that said, when you're talking about mobile devices, then the game changes a lot. Mobile devices of any kind, and you're talking about tablets, mobile devices, or Chromebooks, things like that, those are far, far more secure than PCs or Macs. I mean, they're not even in the same category, I don't think. Um, they were designed much later in, in life. A lot of security uh, headaches and nightmares were learned before the first bit of development ever started in those types of devices. They're sandboxed a lot better. Just the security is a lot better. It's not, not perfect. Anything can be hacked. Anything can have risk. Anything can be targeted. But the amount of risk related to mobile devices is much, much lower than PCs, at least as of right now. Now, who knows what could happen tomorrow? Maybe there'll be some new crazy thing that comes out. But as of right now, um, if you have the choice, for example, between reading emails on your desktop, you know, your laptop or something, or reading, reading emails on a tablet or a phone, tablet or phone by far is going to be the more secure solution and the better way to do it and far less risk, even if you're like clicking on links or opening attachments, the odds of the malware being able to exploit those devices is much, much lower. Uh, Chromebooks, I mean, those things are workhorses. You can beat the crap out of them. And, uh, and they really, really hold up well against attacks. So if you have kids, for example, and they need to be doing stuff online for school or whatever, oftentimes you know, you'll see most high schools give kids Chromebooks because again, the actual risk to those things are pretty low. The actual ability for malware to end up on them is pretty low. So um, if you're kind of going on that sliding scale, you know, PCs, Macs, things like that, those are your highest risk areas. Those are the things that, um, you should worry about phones, tablets, they have risk, but that generally is related to the apps that you're installing. So um, for example, if you have a, an iPhone and you've set it up so that you, you, know, you jailbreak your phone, so now you can sideload or basically allowing you to pick up apps from places outside of Apple store, you have a lot more risk in that case because you could be installing bad apps on your phone. Um, even if you're installing them from Apple Store or Android, you're installing it from their store, there is still risk. I mean, um, it doesn't seem like a week goes by where there's not an article that comes out, you know, uh, Apple just pulls 5,000 apps from their store that were all turned out to be malicious for China or, you know, whatever it happens to be. So it comes down to paying attention to the apps you're installing on your phone. And to me, that's, that's the hardest part because, um, Oftentimes you have no idea who created these apps and to try to do the research is sometimes hard. So you go, Oh, you know, I need an app for something cool, whatever it happens to be some widget you need right now because you're somewhere and you want to download that app. Maybe, you know, you're out working in the, in the garage and you need a level, you know, they have apps for your phone to make it into a level. Well, you just go online, you find there's like 13 different apps available. Most people don't research to see who made those apps. They just look to see reviews like this one got good reviews. So therefore I'll get this one. Reviews don't re relate in any way or equate to security. And just because it's been around a while or just because it had 100,000 downloads doesn't mean it doesn't turn out to be malicious. So that's, that's where it gets difficult is the apps themselves. Yeah. So it seems like a good idea to have a $300 Chromebook for exploring those good deals during the, uh, the uh, um, Black Friday. Black Friday. Yeah. <laughs> Um, yeah, no, Chromebook's great. Uh, my uh, youngest has one in high school. And uh, I mean, it's funny because like they, they can be hacked a little, but like his, his high school had all these like really strict controls in place of what they could and couldn't do. And um, he, uh, yeah, he's, 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 
kind of a curious kid. And within about a week, he had bypassed all the rules. So now his his Chromebook could pretty much do anything. It was pretty funny when he did it. He was like, look at this, Dad. I'm like, I guess I'm proud of you. I'm not really sure where to go with this one. So uh, I thought that was funny. But it still holds up as far as the security standpoint goes. Thank you so much for joining me today and, and having this really exciting conversation. I think our audience will benefit at, from it in many, at many levels. Uh, and I appreciate and look forward to our future conversations. It was my pleasure. Thanks for having me. I hope you will join us for the second part of this conversation with Jim Stickley. The second episode will cover what the individuals and companies need to know about antivirus, domain spoofing, spear phishing, social engineering, and password management. If you are interested in having a conversation about protecting your domain from domain spoofing, implementing an automated cybersecurity awareness training and reporting program for your employees and customers, or a custom cybersecurity awareness training for your C-suite or the board, please reach out to me at nadescent.com forward slash SOS. That is N-A-D-I-C-E-N-T dot com forward slash S-O-S. Please also subscribe to our podcast to stay current with the relevant technology trends and solutions. Thank you for listening.